So as we uh, head through uh, for Samuel, we find ourselves in chapter 27. And if you remember last week, the Zidites ratted David out to King Saul again. They've done that twice. So Saul came out hunting David like a flea. That's what David said. And this is the third time that is recorded that Saul is now hunting David. There, there could be more, but th these are the only times that are recorded. We saw last week that David and Abishai went down and there by Saul's head as the entire camp was asleep, that Saul's spear was right by his head. And so David collected the spear and the water jug, had a conversation right there with Abishai as they're surrounded by 3,000 soldiers. David has this conversation with him. We later found out that God had put Saul and all of his men into a deep sleep. And once out of that camp, David awakens the camp, rebukes Saul for hunting him. Saul on cue says he has sinned. Doesn't say he has any tears this time, but he might have. And he asked David to come back. And of course, we know that's not going to happen. So King Saul and his men, they head back to Jerusalem. The Bible does not say this, but I'm sure once that evil spirit came Upon Saul again, Saul wanted to go take David out. And out of that backdrop of Saul wanting to take David out, he'll make this decision to go hunt David once again. Now, if you are David with 600 plus men, not, not all, but maybe all had wives and families, plus all of their stuff, what do you do? As a believer, stay in the course, seeking the Lord and waiting on him is our only option. You got to know that. Because David's going to be moved off of that. So if David, the man's own heart, has to be moved off of that, and every single one of us, we, we have to have it so ingrained and grafted on our hearts and in our minds that stay in the course is simply seeking the Lord and waiting on him. Because if that's not ingrained, then you're going to bounce out of that. See, David is sensing he's out of options and failing to look up, I add, and this will get all of us in trouble every day of our lives. He looks within for direction. Welcome to 1 Samuel chapters 27, where we get a sneak peek of what looking to yourself for answers will always do in your life. Look at verse 1 here. And David said in his heart, I would underline that, that's... That's the key of the whole chapter here. If it wasn't for verse 1, we wouldn't have the remaining 11 verses. And David said in his heart, Now I shall perish someday by the hand of Saul. So listen to the question. Think about it before you answer. Is his heart telling him the truth right now? Yes, it is. Of course, it's David's heart that's telling him the truth and not God's heart. That is, this is exactly, that's what it says. David said in his heart, his heart is telling him, you're going to perish someday by the hand of Saul. That's what it says, right? So according to his heart, his heart is telling him truth. Of course, it's not God's heart, but it's David's heart. But his heart is going to tell David exactly what our hearts will tell us every time 
We use them to reason for or look to ourselves for direction. David Thart has given up on the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and so David is now going to take matters into his own hands. So David has moved from talking to God to talking to himself. We may do that and not even recognize it on a daily basis. Where we move from talking to God to talking to ourselves. It may become just such a part of us. You want to get depressed, start analyzing things, get more discouraged, start talking to yourself. <laughs> I mean, what does yourself know? Well, it wants you to think it knows everything, but the reality is our self really doesn't know anything. I mean, you want to get out of being discouraged? Start talking to yourself. After all, you're the only one that really knows and understands you anyway. The people around you, they certainly don't understand you. And if you start running those thoughts through your heart and mind, watch out. The enemy is going to come after you. And that's why believers make mistakes in their daily walk team. We listen to our hearts rather than listening to or looking to the Lord for his voice and direction. And thus we say or we act or we do because we're listening to our heart and not the Lord. Is David's heart telling David God's will for his life? Absolutely, positively no. It never can. For proof of that, I quote the prophet Jeremiah out of Jeremiah chapter 17, 9. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Not you, not me, not David's heart. There's only one who knows the thoughts and the intentions of our hearts. Who is that? It's the Lord God. And he tells us, the Lord God tells us out of Matthew 15, verse 19, and multiple other places, for out of the heart proceed evil thoughts. David's having one of those right now. Murders, adulteries, fornications, theft, faults, witnesses, blasphemies, on and on and on and on. And that's what David's doing. See, going to the land of the Philistines is an evil thought that was stored up in his heart. And I suggest to you it's been there for quite a while. Remember the first time that David sought to run away from Saul? Remember that first time? He had to act like a madman to get away. Apparently, he must have thought it was successful in some way. I don't know. Maybe Achish told him, hey, come back when you're a little more stable. I, I don't know. But I do know this. Jesus again, Luke 5, 22. But when Jesus perceived their thoughts, because only he knows them, he answered and said to them, why are you reasoning in your hearts? So we have to stop and inventory ourselves and say, do we reason within our hearts? Because if we do, we're in trouble. We should reason with the Lord. We should reason with this Spirit of God in our hearts, but reasoning with our heart. If you're going to reason, team, and we should, you have to go up. So God can fill the cup with his wisdom and with answers. Remember, Sunday morning, you look up, he fills the cup. So if we're going to reason, you got to go up. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 20, And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise that they are futile, they're empty. 
The Lord knows that. There's nothing good there. For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow, and is the discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Only Jesus can know our hearts. And yes, I understand Jeremiah is an Old Testament prophet who heard from God himself. I understand that. But his words are still just as living and active today as when they were still written. And I'll give you one very solid reason, that the heart of man in the Old Testament is the same heart of man in the New Testament. There's no difference. And it's, that heart is deceitful above in all things. Who can know it? The man in the Old Testament can't, and the heart of the New Testament can't either. So David is decision-making in his heart that's deceitful and desperately wicked rather than lifting his eyes three inches and seeking the Lord. See, I can see you three inches. I don't see you. I see you. It's probably more like two inches. I'm reasoning with myself. Yep, that's why. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Oh. <laughs> those weren't good. Those, yeah, bad ideas. Sorry, Lord. Forgive me. Oh, yeah. You want to be a successful Christian? You got to look up. Now, I want us all to think about this as we go through this chapter and the rest of the chapters that deal with David. That this one decision here to reason with his heart causes him to make really bad decisions for the next 16 months. One, one, one little decision right here, first few words of verse 1. And David said in his heart, you all have that underline, now I shall perish someday by the hand of Saul. David has convinced himself that that's true. And the reason David has convinced himself that is true is because his heart has been telling him that is true. You're going to perish, David. You got to do something. Somehow he has forgotten about God protecting him ever since the day he was anointed as king. Somehow he has forgot that the Lord God was there when he killed the lion and the bear. Somehow David has lost sight of when he took out Goliath with that one smooth stone. Somehow forgetting how when we go out to battle with David, David was kill, would kill his tens of thousands with God's help. Well, how is that possible, team? Well, simple. Reasoning from your heart that is deceitful and desperately wicked and not reasoning with the Lord is how that's possible. God will let us. He can't. He's never going to force us. So if each one of us wants to wait, walk away with something tonight, then this is what it is. We've got to have a clear understanding from God's word of what reasoning from your heart will do in your life. That's the theology. God's going to give us an incredible picture of how that plays out. You see, if a believer is always moody, emotional, off and on, it is possible that they are always that way because they are the one who are always reasoning in their hearts and not with the voice in the word of God. They just reason with themselves. And that's why. And that's why it, they act out that way. As David is talking with his heart, his heart says to him, there is nothing better for me than that I should speedily escape to the land of the Philistines. His heart is totally given up on God. 
Now, I'm sure we could look into the spiritual realm here if we could, that the demons of hell are shooting all kinds of arrows at David. And, and David, with no spiritual armor on, it seems, it's just him and his heart. He is getting plastered. He has no defenses. He has nothing. Now, there's a way out for David in this depressed, depressed discouraged, defeated state. You all know it. You, you would do it all the time if you owned one. Who's ever ejected a tape or a CD out of something in their life? Right? You're driving along and a song, a song comes on, you don't necessarily care for it. You hit the button, eject it, change it, remove it, you put in a new one. Pretty simple operation, and then you just keep on moving. Well, that's all David has to do. He has to hit the eject button and plug in a new song. That's all you have to do. That's all I have to do. And see, we do that every time we look up. We look up, boom, we hit the eject button. You know, David is known as the man that talked with God. Definitely his strong point. And I don't know, maybe that's your strong point as well. If it is, you have to guard against your strong points in your life when it comes to your Christian walk. I, I hope we all would know that we need to guard against our weaknesses. I'm not going to go in there. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to get close to that. But we also have to guard against our strengths. Because, see, an unguarded strength is a double weakness in our life because we leave the door open and the enemy comes right down in. That unguarded, unprotected strength in our lives becomes easy picking when the enemy comes looking and sees, wow, no shield of faith, no breastplate of righteousness, no sword of the spirit, whack, whack, whack. And he takes shot us at, shots at us and nails us. That's what has happened to David. David, the man who talked with God, has now been reduced to a man talking to himself. Why? Because he allowed his heart, which was his strength. Remember, he's the man after God's own heart. This was his strength. But he didn't guard against it. And now he's allowing it to deceive him. Why well, is that possible? Because he never checked in with God. He never looked to God's word to see if what he is thinking was true. You know, when our son Josh died at the weakest moment of my life, the demons tried some of the ugliest lies I had ever heard. They, they backfired on them because they were so horrendous and hideous. It's like, that is right from the pit. Those things, and the lies really encouraged me. And they allowed me to see with greater clarity how the enemy works in our lives. But that happened because me and my family was reasoning with the Lord, not with our hearts. Oh, I was heartbroken. We all were. But I knew I could not allow my heart to lead, lead me. I knew I had to be led by the Lord. We chose that. It was a decision to take. Now, this caused Christians to say that I was in denial, and they would post it on Facebook. Whatever. I was at Tim Roosevelt's funeral on Monday. His wife got up to speak, and the first thing she said is, I want you all to know I am not in denial. People are accusing of being in denial. Hey, we are grieving heavily, but our hope is in the Lord Jesus Christ. That doesn't make us in denial. That makes us biblical. And yet, I don't know why the Christians would say that stuff. Well, I do, because they reason in their heart. They never reason with the Lord. How dare you have victory over something as, as bad as this? I can't even have victory over 
You know, they burnt my pancakes and I go ballistic. None of us were in denial. We just chose to look up and live in his grace. His daughter got up and spoke. She said the very same thing. She goes, look, I know it's all real around us. I know my dad is in heaven. It hurts really bad, but God is all around us. Yeah, because they chose to look up and live in his grace. And thus they are led by his spirit and not by our hearts that are wicked. You got to know that. You just have to. Jesus shows up 981 times in the Bible. Heart shows up 972 times in the Bible, if you want a little trivia fact. The first verse in the Bible where the word heart shows up is in Genesis chapter 6, verse 5. Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intent of the, thought, every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. There's a law, of, there's a thing, in, if you go to Bible college, that's called the law of first. That's how it first shows up. The last place the word heart shows up is in the context of Babylon the Great and Revelation 18.7, just before it's destroyed. In the measure that she glorified herself and lived luxuriously, in the same measure give her torment and sorrow, for she says in her heart, I sit as queen and am no widow and will not see sorrow. Oh yeah, she's destroyed. And see, this is where it all breaks down every time, team. This is where it all takes place, in our hearts. This is where depression, evil thoughts, jealousy, murder, self-pity, suicide, vengeance, covetous, control, pride, envy, on and on and on, like to lodge in our hearts. But it's also the place where I draw near to God. These are all in the Psalms. When you said, seek my face, my heart said to you, your face, Lord, I will seek. Examine me, O Lord, and prove me. Try my mind and try my heart. Delight yourself also in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with the whole heart. The Lord is near to those who have a broken heart, and saves such as have a contrite spirit. For our hearts shall rejoice in him, because we have trusted in his holy name. Be of good courage, and he shall strengthen your heart, all you who hope in the Lord. The Lord is my strength and my shield. My heart trusted in him, and I am helped. Therefore my heart greatly rejoices, and with my song I will praise him. Wait on the Lord. Be of good courage. Wait, I say, on the Lord, and he shall strengthen your heart. My soul longs, yes, even faints, for the courts of my Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. I delight to do your will, O my God, and your law is within my heart. Your word I have hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. And then one out of the New Testament. And the word became what? Flesh and dwelt among us in our hearts. And that's where it all builds up or breaks down. Right there, team, it's in the heart. See, I need to know I can only be producing one type of fruit in my heart at any given time. I'm either walking tightly with the Lord or I'm listening and, and talking within myself and my heart. I can't do both. I can only do one at, the t at a time. And if I don't think that, I'm deceived. 
I'm either going to talk to myself like David does, reason in my heart, or I'm going to talk to the Lord. So what do I do about my heart then? It's a great question. Does growing old in your Christian walk concern you? It, it does me. Because too many people start out well and don't finish. When I was younger, I didn't need to exercise to stay in shape. I just was in shape. I ate, could eat. I just ate what I wanted. Came home, half gallon ice cream, no big deal. I was just in shape. But now that I'm older, I need to be, I need to be consciously aware of and continually working at it so it doesn't overwhelm and consume me. I have to, I have to be alert. Now, I don't do much about shape, but it's definitely something I think about all the time when I think about what I'm eating. In contrast, when I was younger, I never thought of it at all. I just went for it. And I think it's the same way spiritually as you look around Christianity. You can't let up now that you're older and seek the coast to the finish line. You will never make it. You won't. You just start reasoning in your heart. You start making decisions in your heart. You got to dig in and work harder, seek him longer and come back to the place where you realize as you did in the beginning of your Christian walk that you really know nothing and your total dependency is on the Lord Jesus Christ. That's, you won't reason in your heart that, oh, I, I know this one. I mean, that's what David's doing here. I know this one. I've been here before. And he reasons with himself. Sergeant Schultz on Hogan's Hero, his favorite line is what? I know nothing. <laughs> David, when he was younger, took on the bear, the lion, played the harp for the king, killed Goliath, slew his 10,000, gathered his 204 skins. Now he's on the run because he reasoned something within his heart. So has God changed or has David? David has. And so David said in his heart, if I move down to the Philistines... Saul will despair of me to seek me any more in any part of Israel. And David said in his heart, if I move down to the enemies and blend myself in with the enemies, certainly Saul will not come down to the enemies. But in the battle, King David is, when you get to see and experience the Lord fighting for you, David, He's removing himself from the battle. But thinking there was nothing better for him other than to escape to the enemies of Israel, that would be the idle, loving enemies of Israel in his heart, David said, so I shall escape out of Saul's hand. His heart convinced him the way out. But please notice it's a cheap cop-out. It's a plan void of the living God. God promises a way of escape if the trial is too great. We've seen that happen. There was the cave. Saul came in. Saul left. There was the double hillsides on the same mountain. Hey, Saul, the Philistines are attacking. David had saw the way of escape there. Saul comes out. They camp there. David goes down. Obviously, it was a word from the Lord because God put them all in a deep sleep. You wouldn't be having a conversation with your guy right next to the soldiers if you didn't know God had put the enemy into a deep sleep. So on three different occasions, David had seen God provide a way of escape. But here, David's heart convinced him of a better way of escape. 
better than anything the Lord God Almighty, creator of the heavens and earth, could do for him. Then David arose because the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked, and who can know it? And this is the theology that's contained in God's word concerning the heart of man. And so this before us tonight is the picture of this truth being played out before our very eyes. We've got to learn this here, team. David's thinking is, I will just slip in with the enemies and escape from Saul. That's his escape route. Now, this may sound good to the hearer. It, it might even be a good choice, but as we walk out our lives with Jesus Christ, we've got to be continually fighting and turning away from the good choice in order to receive the God choice. But this, is, this, this isn't even a good choice. The good choice here is a choice of total compromise for David. David's not fighting, but rather he's retreating to the world because he's not ejected the CD of self and he hasn't looked up to the Lord. I know in my life, if I allow ungodly things to re remain in my heart for any length of time, whatever it is, whether it be one second, one minute, one hour, one day, watch out. I'm going to start moving that way because the demons are going to be lurking around the corner seeking to take me down. Oh, look, he's still thinking on it. I have no idea how they do that. As these issues of life take up residency in my heart, if I allow them to remain, I will start believing them. And then I'll start thinking that I'm actually doing God's will. Watch out. You're deceived. These types of things like reasoning in our hearts are going to come because we're sinners. But I believe the mark of a maturity is how long does one stay in that place of self-type thinking? Because it's always self-type. How long does one entertain these self-type thinking thoughts? The longer they remain, the surer I am going to act on them. And once I've given over to this type of thinking and removed my eyes and my thoughts from Jesus, watch out, I'm going down. We see it as in James chapter 1, where each one is tempted as they're drawn away. And you keep looking, and you keep looking, and there's just this progression towards death. And then all of a sudden you spiral down, down, and down until you realize the sorrowful, pitiful state that I'm in. And it started with simply reasoning something in my heart. And yet when I come to my senses and cry out, I'll be free. But until that happens, I just continue to spin out of control. And that's what we see the anointed man of God is doing tonight. There's nothing better for me. That's David's first thought. Watch the pattern in verse 1 starts with his and ends with I, me, I, me, me, I. If that's a part of your vocabulary, you reason things out with yourself. I, I, me, 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 my, my, I, 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 me, 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 my, me, my, 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 me, my, my, myself. <laughs> you, it's, it's you and yourself. Look what they did to me. I need to do this. God wants me to do this. I need to do this. It's very pretty thin line right there. One's right, one's wrong. Please don't think that this subject doesn't apply to you because it does to all of us. When was the last time you wanted, you felt, you deserved? I don't know. But if we're honest with ourselves, we should be able to look at it. We've got to be careful now. 
The only place or thing you and I deserve and having it our way is McDonald's. And that's only because we're paying for it, and then most of the time they still don't get it right anyway. Now, this is basic Christianity, but I think it needs to be reminded of often. When our heart does not match the Word of God, we need to stop the world in which we walk, and we need to repent. You know, rather than turning to the God of the universe for getting his priorities and focus back on tra track, David turns to the little gods, the gods of the Philistines, to hide him. And here's what's crazy. I thought the ones that he had weeks earlier been seeking the Lord to destroy, he is now turning to them for a place of refuge. And it all came out of him reasoning something in his heart. It's amazing how enemies become friends and seeking to move away from God's plan for one's life. It's almost biblical within the Christian church today. Our enemies become friends and seeking to move away from God's plan for one's life. Even while David is there, we're going to find that he still went out and killed the enemies of Israel. But when he lied about it to his enemies to keep control of this present life situation, there's nothing good here. And that's another thing that's going on here is control. Don't you tell me what to do because my heart knows best. Okay. And God allows us to make those bad decisions but thankfully, he allows us by his grace and mercy to choose to come back. Verse 2, Then David arose and went over with the 600 men who were with him to Achish, the son of Maok, king of Gath. Thank you, heart of man, for this great ungodly wisdom here. Now, please notice that David's heart affected a lot of other people. These words went over with 600 men and their families. Is David leading his men that God has brought to him out of the promised land, and he is now teaching them as they're seeking refuge with the enemy. So please understand, when I seek to reason in my heart, it's going to affect other people. And I wonder how many Christian families have been messed up because the journey with their kids was one continual reasoning with their hearts and not the word of God. And so then the parents pass that on to their kids. Hey, this is how you walk with God. Just reason in your heart. I've seen the fruit of that parenting style over the last 30 years. Many of those kids, they don't make it back to the Lord. But that's how their parents have taught them. Just reason in what your heart, what you think, what you feel. Now, before we move on, please notice the town they are in. What town is it? In Gath. Now turn back to 1 Samuel 21.10, just to be reminded of the town that David was in there. Then David arose and fled that day from before Saul and went to Achish, the king of... It's the same place, same guy. And what was David packing when he went into Gath the first time? You remember what he was packing? Today, people pack heat. What was David packing? He was packing Goliath's sword. <laughs> and what does David have to do to get away the first time? He has to let the beard run down his, his, his spit run down his beard and he's scratching the doors with his fingernails, acting like a madman. Not this time. This time he comes with 600 mighty soldiers. But the sad thing here is, he comes again to the same place of defeat, seeking shelter. And we can all be this way the very same way, team. Failing to learn the lessons of life from a previous failure, we head down that same path, 
or we use that same line of thinking, failing to see it shipwrecked this last time, but somehow thinking in our hearts, this time it's going to be better. Or this time it's going to be different. It's never better. It's never better. If a God was not in it the first time as you took matters into your own hands, God is not going to be in it the hundredth time when you take matters into your own hands. So David dwelt with Achish at Gath. He and his man, each man, notice this, each man with his household. So are all 600 of these men married with kids? I don't know. Seems like it. And David with his two wives, Ahinoam the Jezreelitess and Abigail the Carmelitess, Nabal the scoundrel's widow. They got kids? David got kids now? I don't know. So how come it seems to work this time? Not because of God's leading, that's for sure. The reason it works this time is because David and Achish both have a common enemy, and his name is Saul. I'm sure word was all over the countryside that Saul was hunting David. And now when David and his mighty army shows up, Achish welcomes him with open arms because they not only share a common enemy, Achish is looking for additional protection that David and his men are going to bring him. Please notice that David, because he listened to his heart, has moved his family down into pagan territory. Also, all 600 men seem to have a family of their own. Each man with his household, if we just let the word speak for himself, have all moved down into the enemy's place of residence. And I wonder if anywhere along the way, David has questioned his decision. I'm sure when Saul seeks him no more, he must be thinking, man, God is blessing me here. We're going to see that David and his men become rich well off and in need of nothing while they're in the territory of the enemies. Now, the Bible records in verse 4, and it was told Saul that David had fled to Gath, so he sought him no more. Man, his heart worked. Praise the Lord. Please take notice of that. You look back at verse 1. He said those things in his heart which caused him to move to a place of compromise. And now on the surface, it looks like it was a great move. Things are actually working out. Yeah, that's how the enemy worked. Hey, I've just neutralized you. You're no longer effective for God's kingdom. Hey, let's let it work. Let's let it, let it ride, baby. Just let him keep winning. Now, we don't know how long David and his men actually lived in the city of Gath. The Bible does not say. We do know he lived in, in this time, in, this, in the enemy's territory, for 16 months. But how long in Gath, we don't know. Then David said to Achish, if I have now found favor in your eyes, so was he in Gath a month, a couple weeks, a couple months? Let them give me a place in some town in the country that I may dwell there, for why should your servant dwell in the royal city with you? Now, please understand, that's not an honest question here. That's a question that's being directed with the same evil heart. Who in their right heart and mind would ever want to find favor by the enemy? Would you? David said to Achish, if I have now found favor. Now, I'm not begging on David, but simply pointing out the obvious. This is the fruit of being led by the heart and not by the Lord who dwells in my heart. Now it gets worse. He calls himself the servant to a Philistine king. 
Could you could you imagine Benjamin Netanyahu going over to into Gaza to, to the Hamas leaders and say, "Hey, I am now your servant." That is never going to happen. It gets uglier though. Let them give me a place in some town in the country that I may dwell, that I may settle down. You really mean that, David? Yeah, he does. We're going to see they lived there for 16 months. I believe they would have lived there a lot longer if Saul would have lived on, but in 16 months, Saul will die. I know in David's conversation to the king, because I've read ahead, David is working all the angles here. But before we go on, let me ask us this. What is David teaching his 600 men and all their families by his words and by his actions here? Because he is teaching them something. He taught them how to, how to, how to fear the Lord and not taking out Saul. Taught them how to be mighty in battle by listening and seeking God. He's teaching them something here. Does David go back to his men and say, hey, I just worked this evil dude over, man. We have him so fooled, we can now operate behind enemy lines, lines as we hide from Saul. Or does he just keep it all to himself and say nothing? That would be my guess. That means the devil gets to fill in all the details amongst his 600 men. So Achish gave him Ziklag that day. Therefore, Ziklag has belonged to the kings of Judah to this day. Now, the time that David dwelt in the country of the Philistines was a year, one full year and four months, so 16 months. He now has a town with walls around it. He's in Philistine territory, safe away from Saul. He's now living behind closed gates, getting rich. But the Lord who anointed him as king is totally absent from his life. No psalms, prayers, or words are recorded of, by David during his 16-month stay here. And there's a t lesson here, team. As he prospers in doing what he does best and attacking, all the while God is absent. Verse 8 tells us where they attacked. And David and his men went up and raided the Gershites, the Gerzites, and the Malachites, you know, those ones who saw was supposed to have totally annihilated for those nations were the inhabitants of the land from of old. They were originally slated for destruction all the way back in Joshua's day. As you go to Shur, which is in front of Egypt, even as far as the land of Egypt. So they would travel deep south. Whenever David attacked the land, he took neither man nor woman alive, but took away the sheep, the oxen, the donkeys, the camels, and the apparel, and returned and came to Achish. So that was the original plan from of old. David, who was once guided and directed by God as he would seek God for direction and then wait for an answer, has been reduced to a man that wages battles for survival and for goods. Because after all, they didn't have a Costco or a Sam's Club. And with 600 men and their families to feed, they needed food and clothing. So they would go out and wipe out the enemies of Israel. But not because God was directing them here. Not because God was going to be glorified after a great victory. He's waging all these wars for his daily bread, something God had promised to provide for. He's waging all these wars for his survival. And that's always a picture of a man after their own heart. All of a sudden, now you have to make it all happen. Then Achish would say, where have you made a raid today? And I wonder what he thought the first time he was asked this question by Achish. 
Or maybe he'd already thought it through and knew exactly what he was going to say. No doubt it got easier to lie every time Achish would ask the question. All the while, David was seeking to gain his trust. And David would say when asked, where against the southern area of Judah, or against the southern area of the Jeromites, or against the southern area of the Kenites, those were David's three answers that he would give. And when David gives these answers, he's implying that he's battled against the nation of Israel. That's what he wanted Achish to think. But to David, it was as far south as the desert in front of Egypt. You know, the Zidites, they were in these groups. And no doubt the enemies of Israel had their spies all over the place. And Achish thinks that David has taken out the Zidites. Of course, if you traveled over there, you would see that they're all very much alive. But they didn't have satellites back then. They didn't have Google Earth. So Achish just <coughs> believes him. Verse 11, David would save neither man nor woman alive to bring news to Gath, saying, lest they should inform on us, saying, thus David did. And thus was his behavior all the time he dwelt in the country of the Philistines. Again, if God was directing all good here, because this was the original plan, so the Israelites would not intermarry with the pagan nations around them. So Achish believed David, saying, he has made his people Israel utterly abhor him. Therefore, he will be my servant forever. I mean, Achish thinks he owns King David. That's what it says. David's going to be my servant forever. Can you say deceived? <laughs> David has so fooled this man that Achish thinks David, the anointed king of Israel, is always going to be his servant. I mean, certainly that's what sin thinks. It thinks once it has you, it has gripped you forever. But for you and me today, we know the cure for any that are gripped in sin is simply to get your eyes back on the Lord and ask for forgiveness, repent, and repeat those first works. And we do all of that in Jesus' name. Amen? Great picture. When you look at the first few words in verse 1, on where reasoning in your heart will take you and not reasoning with the Lord. Father, we're thankful, God, that you show us all these things in your word that we need. All these things that pertain to life and godliness that will help us walk with you. 